You're listening to Were You Still Talking? Hey, welcome back to the show. It is Were You Still Talking, as you heard in the intro, and this is Joel Albrecht once again. On my show today, I have Jay Stocks. I've already messed up. Jay Scott Christensen. He is an associate teaching professor for MU's Trueless College. I'll get that pronunciation better if I missed it. Uh, it's College of Business. He teaches courses focused on information systems and project management, emphasizing critical thinking about emerging technologies such as artificial intelligence, blockchain, and the in- Internet of Things. I'm going to ask him about that. I believe that co- he believes, not me. I don't know what I believe. He believes the COVID-19 <laughs> crisis has moved the future forward. Transformations that might have taken decades will now take years or months as the world's commerce and information flows are reinvented. This acceleration in the pace of things makes understanding new technologies a critical skill and empowers us to shape the future. Scott, thanks for coming on the program. Really appreciate having you. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoy getting an opportunity to talk about all these things and geek out a little bit. Uh, that's good. Geek and ask what we like. That's, that's always good on a podcast. And I mean, I should tell my listeners... There is a lot more to his resume. It's literally as long as my arm, but it, <laughs> he, he, he's been doing AI for a long, long time. And, and so I thought it would be interesting after watching, and to be honest, after watching the Netflix special, basically about the social networks and the way they're using AI. Uh, it, and also because we're, it's, um, well, it's just, it's used in everything, but I know, um, it's also being used in the current situation quite a bit. So I have a lot of questions. Um, If someone didn't know what AI was, if there's people still exist, do you have like a a short primer on it that you you could tell people what it is? So AI is a big field and this encompasses basically anything where a machine can make a decision. Okay, so a machine can uh, take in some information and predict or make a decision. And this can be simple if-then statements like the little Roomba uh, that, uh, you know, people have running around their house to vacuum things up. And it says, okay, if I hit a wall, I turn to the right. And then if I still hit a wall, I turn a little bit more to the right. So it can be very simple things like that. It can be the kind of stuff that we've seen in science fiction, general intelligence, general artificial intelligence, where you have a machine that can really act like a human, right? We don't have that yet, thank God. I don't know if it's even possible to have it, but that is also under this umbrella of artificial intelligence. Especially nowadays, when we're talking about artificial intelligence, you should substitute the word machine learning. And machine learning and there's a form of machine learning called uh, deep learning, where we actually turn over to the machine the process of learning which criteria are important. Now, one of the areas that I'm very excited about and very positive about is the use of AI in medicine. And so what you can do with these machine learning algorithms is you kind of set up what we call a neural net, and then you give it lots of training data. So one of the early applications that was done in medicine was they took x-rays and imaging data from people that had pneumonia, people where they thought they had pneumonia, but it turned out they didn't, and people that were healthy. And they fed all that into this AI and said, uh, here's all these, you know, three different cases, it learned how to discern between them. And so now if I go into an emergency room, it's more and more likely that they may augment the radiologist with some sort of AI that is able to look at that and say, well, there's a 95% chance that Scott's got pneumonia. So we better start some, you know, treatment for that right away. So that's an example, and it's a good one, I think, because it shows that you have to have that training data. You have to have something to train the machine on, and then we let the machine learn on its own. We don't tell the machine, oh, you need to be looking at this little area down here or this little area over here. We let it figure out 
And what's really neat about that is sometimes these algorithms are able to get better than humans. So that algorithm I was just mentioning is actually better than humans at determining if someone has pneumonia. And they can also sometimes uncover certain things that us as humans missed. So there's certain areas like radiology, pathology, that are really involved with pattern recognition. And so that's a, just a great application for AI. So that kind of hopefully narrows us down to a, a very specific example. And I would say that 90% of what we're talking about with AI right now is this type of something that's been trained and then can make predictions based on that. So I really like that explanation because I, I like the differentiating between machine learning and AI. That actually helped me understand things a lot. And also, I think you already asked one of my, one of my questions, asked, answered one of my questions, which is, um, can AI think for itself? Um, which it sounds like it can't yet. It can, I mean, it really can do what we ask it to do at this point, right? It's not actually deciding that humans are bad and they're going to wipe them out off the earth. Yes. Yeah, so um, we could get into all sorts of theoretical things. Uh -huh. And some people have argued that that might be a danger, you know, that you could have some dystopian type of, you know, Skynet. Uh, Elon Musk and some other folks have argued that uh, an AI may find us to, just to be in the way. Okay. So uh, they may, uh, an AI may be set on doing something and may find that humans just come into um, not being part of that future, right? So if your uh, listeners want to search for something called Universal Paperclips, it's where you can play an AI, and all your purpose in life is to make paperclips to the extent that you will turn the entire known universe into paperclips if, if possible. And so this is kind of a, a unique problem in AI, uh, that is theoretical. And it's once again this idea that uh, an AI may be so bent on doing something that humans aren't entered into the equation. That is not anywhere near where we're at right now, because right now AI does not have really ability to go outside of its narrow little area. So that pneumonia rhythm can't also look at my feet, right? <laughs> or can't look at okay. my heart. Right. And so it can't bring in other areas. I'll give you an interesting example from an area we sometimes call adversarial AI. Mm -hmm. So this is where you try to trick an AI. And a classic example was a AI developed for an autonomous car by Google. And what they did was they wanted it to know where there was a stop sign. So they just fed it a whole bunch of images of stop signs, but they didn't specify the criteria that the AI should use to determine whether that was a stop sign. Now, if you had a small child and they were learning what a stop sign was, they could bring in some other information, right? You kind of learn your shapes. It's kind of roundish or an octagon. Maybe you know what an octagon is. You learn some of your letters and so those are the stop that seems to repeat all the time and you know your colors it's red so you can kind of understand what a stop sign is not just by seeing a stop sign but by bringing in other information well because these folks at google had not told the ai what criteria to use some researchers found if they just put stickers on the stop signs the ai would think it was right turn only or 45 mile an hour speed limit oops. sign be right oops so now this whole field of adversarial ai is about well wait a second we don't want that to be a total black box right we want to say like hey make sure it's red <laughs> it has the word stop on it somewhere and if it's an octagon let's just prefer to think that that might be a stop sign right no matter how many stickers are on it so it's kind of interesting, once again, how we look at this. And the more that I learn about AI, the less convinced I am that there is going to be some sort of general AI that's going to be more intelligent 
than we are. Certainly in certain areas, it can be more accurate and more speedy than we are. But, uh, and maybe we'll discover things that we could not discover because of its pattern recognition uh, abilities. But I'm less and less convinced that, at least in my lifetime, there's going to be any sort of uh, malevolent algorithm out there that's going to uh, uh, destroy me or humanity. I think you were mentioning the Netflix special about uh, what's called The Social Dilemma. The Social Dilemma, yeah. And that's where yeah. I'm more worried. Okay. Because you know, right. humans... That, when they, well, the part that got me, and I think it's pretty far into the documentary, is when they said, oh, and this algorithm that's been invented by Google and Facebook and is being, you know, it's being used kind of... All, they've all invented their own, but it's being used all over the place. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe it will accidentally start a civil war. And that's where I just... You know, that sent chills up my spine that uh, accidentally or you know, yeah, and the way you can s seemingly use it to to sort of, I don't know, program people's ideas, program people's views or what they think is their views. You, yeah, you know so I mean? um, humans are easily influenced, but we don't like to think that we are. Right. So right. it's easier right. to f fool somebody than it is to convince them they've been fooled. And we have a lot of biases that, um, you know, biases are there as shortcuts. And they helped us for many, many years survive to this point, but they are maybe not that useful now. And as Facebook has even run experiments to see if they could change people's moods. Uh, they were highly criticized for this about six years ago, I believe. They ran an experiment and they said, well, we're going to show certain images and certain posts we're going to favor for this group versus this group. And they found that they could make this group more sad and this group more happy. So being able to actually change your emotions based on what you're seeing. And I think it was Tristan Harris in that documentary that mentions the fact that these algorithms are optimizing for things like time on site and mm -hmm. engagement. If I am seeing, you know, lengthy fact-based uh, articles and I'm getting to connect up with my friends and new colleagues that I'm meeting on podcasts and, mm -hmm. and otherwise getting to know, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the site. But if I'm enraged, if I'm upset, if I'm angered about, you know, this darn thing that's going on, and how could NASA, you know, fake the moon landing and how could, you know, this and that happen and I'm outraged and why don't we expose these people? Uh, that's worth a lot more money. Okay. And so I'm worth a lot more to Facebook, agitated, angry, uh, and maybe believing something that's patently false. So that's where I'm really worried about these machine learning algorithms um, dividing us, maybe, I don't know, you know, God forbid, causing a civil war, but certainly not allowing us to talk about some really big problems that we have in the world right now that we need to get on with dealing, not just the current pandemic, but things such as climate change, things such as, um, you know, poverty, inequities. Um, oh, now, hold on, on a minute. I saw on Facebook that climate change isn't real. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> exactly. And so we're going to we're going to have groups of people who don't even have a common language. Right. right? I'm going to be yeah. in my little silo. You're going to be in your little silo. And you're saying, uh, you know, Scott hates America. And I say, you know, well, uh, he hates America and she hates America because they're not like me. Instead of saying, hey, we're all Americans. We may have some different ideas on how to solve the problems, but let's at least start to talk about the problems that we got to tackle. Right. Right. And I mean, the, the big one for me is global warming and global climate change. Uh, and I've thought for years and have been told for years by, you know, scientists, those people that don't know what they're saying, that if we don't solve that, it really doesn't matter. It's it's not going to matter mm -hmm. whether we're divided or we're together. It's not going to matter whether Facebook makes money or loses money because there, there won't be a Facebook if, you know, if the um, servers are uh, covered with seawater or even if they get a little seawater in them. They won't react very well. So, yeah, that's 
it's un- to me it's so unfortunate that um all the you know all of the algorithms point towards yeah being angry at each other is so much better uh, for us or the people creating right. algorithms um so my but my question is was that do you think that was on purpose or is that something they discovered and so they are now um kind of going with it cuz they don't seem to be they don't seem to do be doing much to help uh yeah and what's i what's your opinion think, on that yeah i don't think they will um unless they're forced to uh, you know i i quit facebook about two years ago after i forget which scandal it was it might have been the one where they knew that they were selling to kids that were under 13 and just went ahead and did it anyway um but it, i finally decided it was a scandal too far and uh, went ahead mm-hmm. and deleted my facebook but uh i don't think they maliciously you know started out to do it they just set these algorithms that said find stuff to keep keep people engaged same thing with youtube you wonder why you go down these weird rabbit holes on youtube after just watching a couple videos well it's because the algorithm knows that a 52 year old male uh that watches this video will also like this video and will stay on the site and will watch another ad and that's what the algorithm is uh, really going for and all this idea of content moderation uh, all this idea of not letting things that are untrue get amplified that has come on uh, is not what it was built for right so it's just right. not it's right. an afterthought and it's very hard to do something uh, as an afterthought or added on later so it's very hard to do it and it's very hard to I, it seems to be very hard to convince them to do it and I understand the other side's point of view that okay who's deciding Who's deciding what's what's uh, you know what should be on there or not, or who's deciding what are lies and what is not, and you know there are obviously there are obvious ways to decide that. I mean, when when out and out lies are, are right. they're poor, they're obvious. I mean, some things are not true, but it's the reason I think it's hard is because news stories have been wrong forever. You know, they yeah. get things wrong sometimes. So when they do, they correct them. They they try to correct them, but the correction is never as big as the story. So it, it's it's tough. So if someone came out and said, you know, certain uh, um, theories weren't real, it's all fake. Which actually they are coming out and saying that constantly. Um, the guy who started the vaccination uh, debacle came out and said he was lying. Didn't matter. Right. The anti-vaxxers, right. it doesn't make any difference. Because they saw so many things that proved that they were right. I mean, over, you know, that built on and built on and built on. So it seems like a really hard, like it's tough for me on YouTube to, uh, because they're always, you know, I watch a a certain video and they think I want to watch a bunch of other stuff that I'm not interested whatsoever. So it's like a mental battle. Right. And I, I would argue that we don't have to necessarily delete things that are not true, but not have them amplified. So should Scott Christensen be allowed to make up something and post it on Facebook or post it on his website? Certainly. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we're in a political season. Uh, Politicians going back to the founding of our country have lied and we have lying as a a good uh, form of political speech and we would not want to stop that. But these things are being amplified by the algorithms. So it's not just Scott posting it there. It's like, oh, Scott, you know, posted this thing that's going to engage Joel. So let's feed it to Joel. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, Facebook and Twitter and these other social media platforms had said they are not a media company. So they're not going to have editorial decisions like the New York Times does. You know, New York Times and a lot of these newspapers, they even have very strict criteria on what ads they'll take. You know, you don't take a, a weight loss ad, you don't take, you know, this type of ad, so forth and so on. And Facebook has kind of uh, been behind this uh, shelter of something called Section 230 which is part of the Telecommunications Decency Act, which says we want to hold harmless any sort of platform or any sort of um, telecommunications provider if something criminal or something untoward happens over their network. 
right? So Scott makes a website, uses GoDaddy, and he starts recruiting domestic terrorists like himself and starts, uh, you know, conspiring to do something. So that's fine that GoDaddy's not going to be held liable for that. And my ISP is not going to be held liable for that. I mm -hmm. would be held liable for that. But here's where things get really weird and why we need to revisit some of these laws. That was written back in the 90s, which you and I remember. Uh, right. And uh, <laughs> with our disk drives and our modems went ding, 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 and you connect to AOL. And, and oh, yes. Like and we had floppies. <laughs> right. <laughs> but now, let's say that you and I are just folks on Facebook. We happen to watch some of these other videos we have certain friends but now facebook's machine learning algorithm says hey scott join this facebook group and joel we suggest this group to you and this group is where you start to become radicalized and then start to try to kidnap the michigan governor right and so that's where some of these people originally got organized and the question is did these people go on there and say oh I want to become a domestic terrorist. I'll find some some likewise uh, people. Or did Facebook's algorithm say, "Hey, Scott's going to spend a lot more time on the site if he joins this group here." Let's right. Get him in that thing. Yeah, and that's more like I think that's more like what they were referring to on the social dilemma is that that's it's just as likely that the algorithms were, you know, steered them in that direction, and and they. Otherwise, they may never have done that. And uh, it's it's tough because I, you know, I'm still on Facebook and I see a lot of uh, a couple of things I see that really scare me. One is that young younger people seem to put everything on there like they will put all kinds of personal details about themselves that anyone can read, um, which always seems mind boggling to me. Um, and then, two, they don't seem to care that these algorithms exist and that Facebook really exists to, to mine their information. You know, they, they just, they don't seem to, it doesn't seem to make any difference to them. And I even tried a different site to see, um, now I forget the name of it, but, uh, another, uh, site was supposedly not going to mine your information and not, not going to do anything like that. And the problem is there's nothing there. Right. Because there are not enough people that care about it. Uh, that they they haven't been able to create a platform. Uh, um, oh, I think it's called MeWe. Is that it? I, yeah, I, I think that's is that yeah. is that it? Yeah. So I, I'm like, well, that would be incredible if if that's true. That would be a much better way to communicate with people. But uh, I don't know. It's it's just it is a dilemma, as as the documentary said. Um, and well, I think um, yeah, I think that's one of the arguments too is that. Right now, we have this weird criteria for monopolies that they have to uh, have consumer harm. But it used to be throughout the history of the United States, we also just bro broke up mo monopolies because they were monopolies. And so you cannot start another social network right now because Facebook will either copy what you're doing on Instagram, which it also owns, or on WhatsApp, which it also owns. And um, there's just no oxygen left. Right. So there's, if you and I come up with a social media platform, there's just no oxygen left. So, um, you know, there needs to be kind of a rethinking about some of these big monopolies, not only their impact on society, but their impact on capitalism, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And that's um, that's a tough one because I don't know how you fight them at this point. I mean, there are people that have are suing Google right now and their claim is that there's no competition. And the the fact is there is. I can go without Google. I can do everything Google does on other sites. There's DuckDuckGo, there's in which I use instead. There's there are lots of other things out there. They're just not at the they're not the kind of size that Google is. And no one says, are you going to DuckDuckGo that? <laughs> you know? right, right. Are you going to Bing it? Right? Are you going to Bing that? Yeah, whatever yeah. it is. That the word doesn't exist. And Bing is he was was huge. I mean, that's someone right. who should be able to compete with them, but doesn't seem to be able to. Well, and if you look at the number two search engine is YouTube. 
And so if you actually right. call it a search engine, uh, and so if you were to break up YouTube and Google or say Google can't own YouTube, I bet you that YouTube would start to get into search and I bet you Google would start to get into video, right? So uh, is competition healthy? And generally we seem to agree that competition can be healthy and can create new markets. And so I realize it's a difficult issue to try to discuss and tackle, but I think it's one that um, we really have to think about. I mean, right now, the level of startups in the U.S. is the lowest, lowest it's been since the 1970s. So the 1970s was kind of the heyday of startups and new businesses. Mm -hmm. And you look at what's happened with the COVID crisis, and it's just these big tech companies, these big companies have gotten so much bigger, and it's the small companies, uh, the small businesses that are just falling by the wayside right and left and are frankly going to continue to do that, um, I think. It's kind of shocking because it doesn't seem to, I don't know, it's um, because the the stock market seems to do well, if you you know, if you're watching that as a as an indicator, which m for most of us it's not an indicator, right. but because that seems to do well, everyone's like, "Oh, everything's fine." And it, but if you look at the market, it's just those massive companies that are doing so well that makes it look good. But like you say, small companies uh, and prop. Oh, whoops! Oh man, the uh, my phone rang, which shouldn't be possible because I had it on. Uh oh. Oh no. There we go. <laughs> okay. I have my phone on on uh airplane mode, so I don't know how that was possible. And then I actually answered it and then hung up again, but that person will know what was happening. Um, okay. <laughs> sorry about that. Now I know what's going on. Make a note. <laughs> okay. So sorry about that. No problem. So anyway, we were talking about uh fixing the world's AI difficulties. Um I mean one one thing I did want to get into is because uh, we've gone down the, the dark path. You actually have been working with AI for a, a long time, and there are a lot of uh, good, I mean, there's a lot of good it can do, and, and there's a lot of things probably not even discovered. Uh, one thing you were talking about creating AI to read a stop sign, so it reminded me of, um, it reminded me of autonomous driving and that's that's ai right that's a, an mm -hmm. ai function yeah. so um do you think cars are safer or more dangerous with the with ai driving oh i think uh they will be much more safe than current drivers unfortunately you know 80 percent of people say they're above average driver and if you remember a little bit about your high school high school statistics you know that can't really be right right uh, and, and uh it's interesting. I kind of thought that was farther off in our future and maybe wouldn't happen. I have a friend of mine who's uh, also a professor and he's out in San Francisco and he tells me about five times a day he gets passed by an autonomous vehicle. And he is really convinced that it's really on the cusp of becoming reality. And certainly we're seeing in Japan, they're actually using autonomous vehicles to deliver groceries. So it's not very big, but it's a, it's a, uh, you know, like a VW, it's a little bit smaller than a VW microbus. And it will, you know, ring you up and say, Scott, your groceries are coming. And you go out there and you punch in a code or you do something with your phone to unlock it. And then you grab your groceries out and then it toddles on its way. And so I think the COVID crisis has moved the future forward in a lot of ways. So another example of that is automating things in factories. So robots that move around and can pick different products up. Online grocery sales was like less than 1% of grocery sales in, uh, you know, back in February. Well, now it's at like 20%. And some of it's not going to go back. I don't think my mom's going back. She doesn't right. enjoy going right. to the grocery store. And she's like, oh, my God, this is great. I can click here. And then some young gentleman comes three hours later and has all my groceries. And so she loves it. And I think for most of us, the grocery, grocery buying experience is not something we 
look forward to. It's not like going to a Nordstrom's or to a uh, Apple store or something like that, or even a uh, uh, you know a fancy uh, a fancier grocery store. Um, so I think that we're going to start to see grocery stores that are built for delivery. Why have aisles and why have those things stocked? Why not have automated robots that can go through and grab all the stuff, stick it in the automated car, and take it to Scott's house? Uh, and I think we could start to see that in the next com coming years. That well, that makes a lot of sense, and uh, it's 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 too bad. It's good for the people that want that, I guess. Um, I actually love the grocery experience because I want to pick my broccoli. You know, I wanted to, right. we don't, it's, I lived in California for a long time and it was much easier to get good, good produce. So <laughs> nowadays I, I do, I used to, I have to say I used to for the last seven months, it's been really tough. I mean, the, yeah. the level of anxiety, even though I know I'm pretty safe, I mean, it's, it's growing in Oregon right now, but it's still much lower than than a lot of places. Um, and I know that you know if I follow the protocols, I should be pretty safe in a grocery store. But it's still, you know, it's nothing like it used to be. I don't I don't feel like I, we go in there. We have a list. We you know we never yep. used to have a list. We used to go. Uh, oh, we forgot something. Well, let's go to the grocery store. You know, and that's yep. not, now it's like we forgot something. We'll get it in a couple of weeks. So yeah, I can totally no. understand where automated shopping could become the future for a lot of people. And plus, a lot of people don't like to go in a grocery store. <laughs> they don't have right. the same, same ideas. Yeah. Yeah. So once again, back to your um, statement about how it's these big, big firms that are going to win out. So the mom and pop grocery stores, if there are any left, are they going to be able to compete with, you know, some big conglomerate that can put um, all the money into making these types of new automated facilities. And that's, you know, one of the things that we're seeing with AI is the discussion about job loss. Mm -hmm. So there's not going to be the cashiers, there's not going to be the other folks. And are we going to replace jobs in a design? I mean, I mean, are we going to replace those jobs with AI programmers? I don't know. And I also think the leap from cashier, especially if you're my age and you're a cashier, um, going from that to being an AI programmer is probably a pretty big leap, right? So right. Um, that is another concern. So even people like Kaufu Lee, who wrote a book called AI Superpowers, um, talks about not necessarily a... Um, a universal basic income of basically the same sort of thing. Mm -hmm. We would pay people to do other things. So we'd pay people to create awesome podcasts and we'd, <laughs> yeah. we'd pay people to, idea. yeah, to, uh, <laughs> to, uh, um, take care of their, uh, in-laws. Right. So, uh, do things like that. So we maybe pay for other types of things that are a net benefit for society. And that's something that I didn't understand as well before the current election in America the uh, I don't know if you follow things down here. I mean, they're not letting us up there now, so why would you right. bother? But <laughs> there was right. there was one of our candidates that was for universal uh, a universal income, and uh, to me, it makes a lot of sense. And it is largely based. I mean, he explained it well too that it's largely based on those companies like Google and, and uh, you know Tesla and these things that are getting so big. That and and they're so advanced that yeah they're not cashiers are not going to be going to work for them. I mean right. you know I have some technical abilities I can't probably can't go to work for them and um, you know it, it's just bizarre the um, the graduation rate in America is going down but the need for extremely advanced people um, in all fields even in digging ditches I, I mean right. you know if you're laying fiber optic cable. You have to know more than you did to lay sewer, you know, that e e right. even all the way down, all the way down the road. Um, and so I totally, I, you know, I can totally understand the theory of a universal basic income and, and see where that would come into play. And plus, yeah. as you say, there's plenty of people in society that are giving to society, that are still giving back to society that can't necessarily, you know, get a job programming 
robots. Right. Which is, and yeah. yeah, so Andrew Yang, yeah, his ideas there were uh, very popular. And then the other um, one is Bill Gates has pro proposed this idea that robots should pay tax. So every time that Amazon oh, puts one of these uh, little Kiva ro <laughs> robots in their warehouse, um, that should be taxed based on the you know income that uh, whoa, it's contributing whoa, whoa, to. Whoa, whoa. Wouldn't we have to get Amazon to pay tax first? Right. <laughs> like at all? Because uh, from, from what I understand, of course, it could be AI telling me this. From what I understand, they're not really paying their tax. No, and uh, Jeff Bezos, I don't think, has paid any tax for probably 20 years. You get to that level and you can basically borrow against your uh, assets and you don't pay tax on the loan, right? So he has right. never, right. he's not really cashing that out. Uh, so if I uh, have a billion dollars in stock, I can go down to the bank here and say, hey, can you give me 10 million? And yes. they will happily loan against that. And I don't have to pay any income on that loan. Right. And when I, I'm dead, then that will get paid off. So I'm really happy that you explained that because most <laughs> people don't understand that. I, and I've I've had that theory um, kind of floated over my head before, but that explained it really well. This is why. Th these kind of uh, um, explanations is why I need to make my podcast much, much bigger because I, I, <laughs> I would like to get that kind of information out there. People think, um, you know, and I'm one of those crazy leftists, they think that, well, he doesn't pay taxes on all the money he's earning, but there is a reason why. I mean, that's, that's the reason yeah. why, because when you're at that income level, um, and not, I mean, not even close, any, anything at a certain level, most people do it like that so that they're they're really rolling money over and over. Um, well, so and it we, doesn't uh, get in that tax loophole. It doesn't. Right. It's not and income. It's yeah. Right. No. And and we tax. Um, uh, you know that. Uh, and this is a worldwide issue. Uh, There's a guy named Pinkatay that wrote a book called uh, Capital, and he talked about the fact that wealth or capital is not taxed at the rate that work is. So right. Right. Uh, your investments, your capital gains, you can roll those into other types of investments. Um, you know, it's just um, it's interesting. I, I always tell my students it's really easy to make a million dollars. First, you get a million dollars. And then that second, that second million, yeah. boom, it's like that, yeah. baby. So, so um, you know, right. it takes money right. to, to make money, they say. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that is true. You know, as you move up in your income bracket, you know, there's more opportunities for you to invest, you know. Um, and so I think we just got to, you know, start to have that conversation. Or do yeah. you value and wealth more than work? Well, then the the thing that I'm always harping on on my podcast is that the wealth needs to start getting in on that conversation. I, I still don't understand. Uh, I've never been a billionaire, so I can't really come from, from their, their logic. I can't come from their side of it. But, um, and, you know, like Bill Gates is, is now trying to give money back, but he spent years just sucking it in. Just pulling right. it, pulling it out of, uh, you know, everywhere else. And he had, you know, he destroyed a lot of people in that endeavor. And he's, he's now coming off as this great philanthropist, which is a bit like Jay Paul Getty, which is a bit like, you know, uh, yeah. many of the oil barons of the past. To me, it, it reminds me of this. It's like, well, what about when you're a billionaire paying your people a whole bunch more money? I mean, they don't seem to believe in that idea so uh, it seems like there needs that needs to happen first right. so like, like elon musk is uh having union busting type of activities that test but um right. yeah when once we get yeah. to mars it's going to be a perfect utopia of egalitarian you know right. everybody shares and everything yeah, like, what? So it's like what? well why don't yeah. we do a little so, bit here why don't first we try it first same with amazon i mean amazon you were mentioning the grocery business. They bought Whole Foods. I was a big fan of Whole Foods and I was really nervous about them buying it. Unfortunately, I think it's great because the prices went down overall. It seems, I mean, I, I never would shop at Whole Foods before because their prices were insane. And now there uh -huh. are some affordable things because they're compete because it's Amazon basically, but um, it's the same thing. They took over that market. And I'm sure for the very reason that you've just said, 
you know, they, I'm sure they had that idea. They, they, yeah. if they already have the grocery business, which I, you know, hopefully is a pretty big one and I'm sure they plan on growing it a lot more. Um, they're already set to, right. Well, they're set for this. They're set for this. It's good. I'm not into conspiracy theories, but, uh, right. <laughs> right. Well, it's interesting too, you that. know, you, you bring up some of these, uh, well-known characters and, I was talking with a friend of mine, she's in Ukraine, and we've worked together on various projects and was talking about her students, and she feels like they're much more entrepreneurial than they were a couple of years ago. But unfortunately, they all want to be like Mark Zuckerberg, or they want to be a YouTube star or an Instagram oh, right. star because they, they see these uh, examples. Well, that's the confirmation bias, right? I want to mm -hmm. be, I don't have to finish college. I could make it on my own. Look, Bill Gates did it, you know. Mark Zuckerberg did it. You don't see the 5 million other people that decided to drop out of college and start a business and failed and are now checking you out at Whole Foods, right? <laughs> right. They work for Mark Zuckerberg. And they, right. <laughs> they work for these guys. Uh, and even, yeah, that's yeah, true. I mean, even the, even the people at, uh, at Google that are in the trenches and programming and, and working, um, in uh and now i forget the city they're in but they're having a hard time just because it's so expensive to to live where they have to live to work there so even people who have extremely good jobs and really good incomes uh at some larger companies they're still struggling right you know they're, they're not making enough to get by in in the um, real estate market that they're in so yeah that's a hard one but that's that's where that's where I'm always a little confused. And the the idea, you know, back to the idea of, yeah, if AI is doing everything, then we do need to somehow support everyone else. And I, I guess that's what um, a lot of people just don't seem to believe in. They, uh, or, or, you know, or have an understanding yeah. of. Yeah. Um, I, I forget... Um... It was somebody back in the 30s said that uh, uh, most people don't consider themselves poor, but just millionaires that are temporary down on, temporarily down on their luck, right? That, so yes. the fact that you have all right. these people that are uh, in favor of getting rid of the estate tax when basically you can avoid it up to $20 million. So um, it's only $11 million. We're, we're ha we okay. have We have that coming up. So... Okay. It's only 11 million. <laughs> that's that's another one. I mean the the um there's certain issues that are touted as being really good for poor people and one of them that I do not understand is getting rid of social security. We're going to get rid of that to make the government healthy. It's like for one, that's not even a blip on the government's uh, <clears throat> radar as far as finance, I mean, as far as budget. It's it's barely even foreseeable in the budget, but they're always putting that out there as it's bad because it makes people lazy. That's one thing. And the, the other one um, is what you were just talking about. And it, it's, uh, I don't know, it, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's like a way to steer people away from reality, you know, or, yeah, no, I think I think you're right in that, um, you know, trickle down economics doesn't work. It, that Laffler curve does not work. Uh, it's been proven time and time again. Um, if you want people to stimulate the economy, give them money. Uh, it's the most economically efficient way to do it. And in fact, um, you know, Nixon in the 70s proposed a reverse income tax credit that would have basically been like a universal basic income that if you are working and you're uh, making, you know, below the poverty line that you would get some sort of money from the government, right? Mm -hmm. And um, some of the experiments have gone on in Europe have shown that this idea of a universal basic income actually frees people up. So if I know that I'm not going to be destitute, okay, uh, I might be willing to try to start my own business. So right. It's actually been more of a catalyst. And also a lot of those countries also have some sort of guaranteed health care. And I know several people that, um, you know, I think in the, uh, that's, uh, in New York City, he would he would quit his job in a second 
if he knew that he would have some sort of cushion, that it wasn't like he was risking everything, mm -hmm. you know? Right. And so I think it would actually be a huge stimulus um, if we had these types of policies in place. Now, it's, granted, once yeah. again, we might have a whole bunch of competing podcasters and none of them <laughs> would be as good as you, Joel. But uh, so we may, you know, accidentally create some bad podcasts along the way. But um, but uh, in some bad, uh, you know, Instagram TikTokers or something like that. But because there's none of those now. <laughs> right. Right. So there's, that's a small price to pay, um, probably for having, uh, yeah. you know, people that have more security. I think it's a very small price to pay, and it also um, takes a lot of that. I, because of the situation I'm in, I'm semi-retired, so um, it's like, yes, I would love to make money on my podcast, but I'm I'm more into pushing it so that more people see the you know see the information on there, see guests that have come on the show, get the you know experience it. Um, so I don't think of it as a competition so much, um, and I think. You know, if you had, if people weren't so worried all the time about, uh, are they going to be able to sell T-shirts through their podcast? They might be able to make a better podcast. You know, they, right. they, it might be more about, well, what's what makes this good? What's interesting here? Who, you know, how? What am I even talking about? Why am I doing a podcast uh, about a reality show or whatever? It is. <laughs> whatever right. it is, you know, there's more more room for growth, and because uh, I, I know a lot of people are coming. I know a lot of people are trying to now do home businesses because of COVID um, or they're trying to grow a home business that was, that was there. I know because I'm just going to a Facebook conference all about it for the last three days. And it's very interesting because they're, this group is a group of people. Um, well, they're really just trying to put across good messages, but they're by doing the, you know, they've grown these massive businesses, whether it's on Instagram or YouTube or Facebook or, or whatever it is. And they're all about, you know, how to push it forward and get, and get more money out of it. And so I kind of listen to it and think these are great ideas, but I'm just so not money motivated that way. I guess I need to be more money motivated. It, it's, <laughs> I don't know. It's always a tough, a tough, uh, position. Tough thing no, I think you, you got to sleep at night, right? So you got to do something that fits your personality and that was one thing that it took me a while as a professor to understand because I had seen other people that were considered, you know, great professors and I imitate them. Well, that wasn't mm -hmm. my personality. Right. right. So right. It, it just was not going to work for me to try to be like um, Alan Bluedorn or somebody else. So instead, you know, I had to develop my own style and I'm kind of, you know, uh, tall, gangly looking nerd. And so that's how I just, you know, lean forward and embrace that. And so I was telling, uh, like I was trying to give a joke the other day, we were talking about things that are digital, they're binary. And you could have a, a bit that's a one or zero. And if you have eight of those, that's a byte. And this is very useful information because if you're walking around campus and you happen to say see eight rabbits, you know that's a rabbite. Oh, ding, ding. oh my, my <laughs> snare's not set up. Oh, man. <laughs> so, so, like these I kind said, of things are very popular on, on uh, TikTok now. You should... <laughs> right. Well, my, my students are uh, pretty used to it by now. It usually takes uh -huh. them a little while um, to figure out if I'm, you know, is this guy serious? What is he talking, <laughs> what yeah. he talking about? What's he talking about? <laughs> Oh, but I did, you know, I did have some more questions. One of them was, uh, I think, th I don't think people realize this. And I meant to ask this question a long time ago, but <laughs> how, mm. how long has AI been around? I, I, I wonder how many people really understand how long AI has been around, how, because oh, it, well, seems, um, it always seems the, new. Yeah, the 1950s, um, when we first had digital computers, is probably the start of AI and the start of really serious consideration of it. However, and there's been several what we call AI winters. So a new technology would come up and then people would think, oh, you know, we're just on the verge of having this all figured out. And then it turned out that wasn't that big of a deal, right? And so we've had several periods we call AI winters where there just wasn't much development or much interest. And some people think we're going to go through another one. Some people think wow. machine learning will keep on going and improving. I think the latter is probably 
more the case. I don't think we'll mm-hmm. enter that kind of winter anymore. Um, but if you go way, way back, and if you're interested in this, there's a really good book by Walter Isaacson called The Innovators. And he goes back to Charles Babbage, which was a gentleman in England who invented some mechanical computers, but probably more interesting than Charles Babbage was his assistant, Lady Ada. And this is a young woman. She was the daughter of Lord Byron, who was also a poet and mm-hmm. uh, apparently also sp- spread syphilis around Northern Europe. Uh, oh, but, right. <laughs> I know I've heard of him. <laughs> uh, but uh, so it doesn't sound like he was that great of a guy. Um, cheated on her mom several times. But uh, she helped... Uh, Babbage figure out a lot of things. And she also did a lot of thought experiments. So she figured out this idea that if you could put things into symbols, you could have a general purpose computing device. Now she used the word algorithm and we would use the word program. And she figured out, well, you could have music, you could have images, you could have all sorts of stuff. And she actually did that first thought experiment of could an AI be sentient could Mm -hmm. it have a consciousness and she said no it could not so she said uh, it could not and this is known in ai as lady ada's objection Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. you get to um alan turing a famous british um computer scientist and he if you watch the imitation game with benedict cumberbatch he was playing alan turing uh if you haven't seen oh yes yeah brilliant movie yeah and he took a different view. His view was it could be conscious and a AI could produce a symphony that would be beautiful to other AIs, oh, not necessarily to you and me. That's great. Okay. So uh, yeah, he had, uh, you know, his own ideas on that. So in fact, well before we had digital computers can actually start to think about programming AIs in the 1950s, uh, we had thoughts about it because people could imagine uh, what computers might be like. That's always been interesting to me, too, that science fiction writers were writing about computers long before they existed and writing about things that would need computers, uh, you know, just years and hundreds of years before anything like that existed. And you actually, I love it when people answer one of my questions in their answer, because you also were (laughs) answered whether AI could be sentient or, I mean, really, can AI you know, think for themselves and replace humans. Um, and can AI, another one is, can AI, well, it's maybe it has already, but can AI make humans smarter? In other words, can that chip that that, um, that um, Elon wants to put in your brain actually make your brain work better? Or will it be more like an iPhone in your head? Um, I'm not really sure about that. I'm skeptical. I think that the mm-hmm. first parts that they're going to look at with that chip in your brain is to help people that are having specific problems. So that's probably the most ethical use of it is, you know, somebody that can't uh, speak correctly or or is having some other uh, issue, uh, being able to uh, tap into their brain to see what they're thinking and being able to have that come out in some other way. Um, so I think that what we're going to see, though, is you asked, is it going to make us smarter? Well, that's, uh, I think that's interesting because when I go back to the example of like a pathologist who is very good at looking at tissue, right? And, and they can tell when this might be cancerous or not. Well, an AI also do that very well. And it can do it much faster. So if mm-hmm. I'm a pathologist, maybe I have to relearn my job and work alongside an AI. And it makes me smarter in that when Joel has a, uh, goes to the doctor and has a biopsy and I say, well, it's going to be four weeks till we get this back. Well, how are you going to sleep at night? (laughs) Not very well. Right. Right. (laughs) But if I could say, Hey, um, the AI's chewing on that right now, looking at it. Um, I'll be back in in 20 minutes and we'll, uh, talk about, you know, what's going on. And then we can actually, the AI can identify and say, hey, doctor, you need to concentrate on this area or take a look at this. Okay, so it can do it much faster. And so I think that's where um, 
those people, I don't know if they're inherently get smarter, but they will certainly seem smarter. They will. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And that that and makes the, a lot of sense. And those kind of uses for AI are very, you know, the, it's amazing. It's um, the stuff that could come out of it. I mean, even autonomous driving that we touched on, uh, I'm a pilot. Mostly I fly online because um, I haven't, I'm not current, but uh, uh-huh. so I know a lot about autopilots. And pilots are all like, why what what's taking so long what the heck is the what is the problem and the difference between i mean um airline airline industry crashes like almost have disappeared and right. a lot of that is because it's an autopilot flying the whole yep. time and that autopilot is now using satellites to help it so the you know it it won't do a lot it won't fall asleep for one so it won't do a lot of the things that a pilot would do. And with cars, it's even worse because you have, um, uh, I mean, of course, I'm 80% better than all the other drivers on the road. But <laughs> the the uh, we do a lot of stupid things when we drive, uh, whether right. it's uh, tailgating a semi-truck or, or pulling in front of a semi-truck, you know, they just or just speeding, just going fast because it, who wants to drive the speed limit? And uh, automated cars won't do that and they won't drive too close they can stop in the distance they'll be from they they won't tailgate trucks they won't care about speeding it doesn't matter and right. you know all of these different things that they can do so much better so accident rates will go way down and you know because we have a population problem i don't know if that's good but accident rates should go way i mean there are so many people afraid of autonomous driving and i just always thought what are you afraid of? It's it's going to help you right. out. I mean, I know what you're really afraid of is letting go of the wheel because who wants to do that? Right, right. Well, I think it'd be great in my retirement. I'd love to, you know, get in the car with a sandwich and a book and tell it to drive to Austin so I could, you know, or drive to wherever. Um, and I also think it's fascinating you brought up um, being a pilot. I was talking with a gentleman from Boeing and uh, they were talking about this drone they had made that could car- carry a human. Mm-hmm. in it and right. we said well that's you know that's going to happen a long time after you know autonomous cars and he says no i don't think so because the rules of flying are adhered to whereas the w- rules of driving if i see you at the stop sign i'm going to wave through it oh there's joel you know come on through well we right. didn't obey the stop sign rules and we're going to confuse the hell out of the autonomous car right that's sitting there trying to figure out what's going on. Whereas, uh, you know, if you're told to stay in this uh, airspace or whatever and go this uh, speed, you're going to do that, right? You don't just go, ah, there's Joel in the 747. Go ahead. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not if you want to keep flying. You know? Right. <laughs> Maybe do it once and that's it, right? Yeah. So. Or if you live in Alaska. Uh, apparently oh, yeah. the, the bush pilots in Alaska have a, a different set of rules, which is no rules. But uh, exactly. That's true. And I've um. Even before I got a pilot's license, and definitely since, I've always thought that it's been way too easy to get a license to drive. Because mm-hmm. uh, even to, to fly a plane, I mean, you start out with, in a very small plane, you eventually work up to jets, but you need to know everything about that. You have to know everything about that aircraft if you're going to pilot it. Right. If you're going to be in a co-pilot, you have to know everything about that aircraft. So in other words, if you, you're going to be the guy sitting next to the pilot and make, you know, and relieving him once in a while. And in a car, you don't have to know anything. Right. You don't have to know anything about the car. You don't have to know anything about the city you're driving in, which in an aircraft, you better know about the airport you're flying into, you know, and, and you, ha- you know the air- airport you're flying out of. You don't have to, all this stuff. So it's always amazed me how little training you really need to get in the car. And once you get that training, whenever it was, whether, whether it was your dad in a parking lot or a student or a teacher, then you're done. Yep. Oh, you know now, you know, and cars today compared to when I started, it's not the same thing. Oh, yeah. Yep. It's just, yeah, just driving a car is distracting. It's, it's well, and I still drive, I still drive a stick shift pickup and uh, went to a doctor's visit and they had a valet parking. Everybody had to do valet parking while I give the keys and the guy's like, yeah, I can't drive this. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> so, so I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll do the valet parking. Now. That's interesting. <laughs> so, well, valet parkers in, in LA and in, our, in large cities, they must have to 
they must have to be a lot better drivers because they might be getting in, you know, a four hundred thousand oh, yeah. dollar Ferrari that yeah. even if you know stick shift, you don't know how to drive that thing. So yeah, I wonder. I wonder where they <laughs> how they right. learn to drive all those nice cars. I never even thought about that. And there, yeah, there's. I mean, I started out obviously driving a stick, um, and it was years before I met people that said, "Oh, I don't know how to do that." Yeah, I don't know how to drive a stick, and it, now it's really disappearing. Unless you, unless you're a car nut, you know, and you want no. a sports car, that yep. that whole idea is going right out the window. That's uh, yeah. really something. Oh man, well that got that's way off the subject, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I've kept you on here a while, and uh, I know that we get uh, everyone gets Zoom fat- fatigue after a bit, so I'll go ahead and wrap it up for us and let you get back to. Okay. Uh, studying and hopefully teaching the world more about what we've been talking about because it's very interesting. So you've well, been listening to... No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that um, I don't remember if I mentioned this before, but I have a website called learnabout.ai. I don't sell anything on it or anything like that, but it's all the types of uh, books and resources that I mentioned on podcasts that I go on. And you can find um, uh, some good books, some places if you want to try out AI apps, um, some AI apps for you to try out. And uh, if your readers or listeners are interested in that, they might want to just check out learnabout.ai. Excellent. Yeah. And I'll have it in the show notes if you missed it. Uh, Also, he has a YouTube channel, so I will put that in the show notes. There are some Great. entertaining videos on there, and <laughs> <laughs> you can learn a lot more about AI. And I've really enjoyed this conversation because I, it's, um, I don't know, it's mind-boggling to me. It's scary and interesting, and you know, so I, I really appreciate talking to someone that knows what they're, that has some knowledge of it and has been studying it for a long time. Also, just, you're a great guy to talk to. So, appreciate you coming on. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate it. It was a good conversation. Thanks. Thanks a bunch. And you've been listening to, were you still talking? This is Joel Albrecht, and my guest today is J. Scott Christensen, an AI expert. And I will be back again soon. Be sure and leave a review if you want to. Um, Check out, uh, share the podcast. That's what I'm supposed to be saying. Share the podcast. Uh, If you're watching it on YouTube, yeah, share the YouTube video, uh, all the other apps. You can like it and share it and uh, spread the love, whatever it is. And as I always say, be good to each other. And especially nowadays, be good to yourself.